probably a good thing to do since we're a church. Um, but I want to look at this whole kind of theme of Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth as a, as a baby and, and kind of unpack that a little bit and just take a few points as to how we can apply that ourselves as disciples um, and, and kind of learn from that. So the story, it's a story we all know pretty well, isn't it? There's a baby Jesus being born under the star in Bethlehem on a beautiful, clear night. There's Mary, nine, eight, nine months pregnant, just waltzing in on a first-class donkey, just comfortably waltzing in to Bethlehem. Smile on her face. She's staying, her and Joseph are staying in this five-star glamping experience that they found on Airbnb. Apparently, according to our culture, a little drummer boy appears at some point and starts playing a song for Jesus. Not only that, but the ox and the lamb keep time with his drumming. How amazing is the story? It's good just to press pause for a moment when you on the story, and you just think, how ridiculous has the story morphed into in our Western culture? I mean, ladies, pregnant ladies, I've seen about three pregnant ladies already this morning. How, is that your perfect idea, Tani, your perfect idea, eight, nine months pregnant, to travel 120 Ks on foot or on a donkey? Not camping, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen a eight or nine month pregnant woman walk a few Ks? My wife's not here, so <laughs> I was going to imitate her, but I thought I better not. She's not here to defend herself. Um, but it's the equivalent of walking from Tani, who lives around here, walk, Tani walking to Palmerston North. That's how far uh, Mary and Joseph went while she was pregnant. But it's okay because, you know, once she got there, it was a hard trip, but once she got there, she had soft pillows and a warm shower and midwives who knew what they were doing and could look after her. And, and uh, the most amazing thing is they had these serene, hygienic animals just surrounding her, just waiting to stare at the Son of God as he appears and just kind of moo quietly. <laughs> it's kind of like this. We see these, these kind of pictures in our culture. So the top one, you can kind of, like, it looks so peaceful, doesn't it? You can see Mary might have just been like, Joseph, that was the most romantic journey. I just feel like we had such quality time together as we traveled 120 k's on a donkey. Yeah, to the north. Ooh. Even worse. And this one here of, of baby Jesus. Look at him. Look how clean he is. Like white sheets and perfect hay. And he's just looking up at these angels like, hey, what's up? I'm the son of God. Little swag baby. And this one's probably my favorite down here because that actually does look like a kind of glamping experience that you would find on Airbnb. Look at it. They're so peaceful. They're so happy. The animals are just gazing at the Son of God. I mean, really, look at that. That thing has horns on the right-hand side. How close is that to baby Jesus? If you were a mother of a small baby, would you be allowing that? I think not. And this donkey on the outside is about to headbutt Mary. <laughs> so that's the kind of sanitized version that our, our culture sort of gives us. And we have a bit of a, um, a thing with that, don't we, in our Western culture. I mean, Easter is about Jesus dying on a cross, and our culture goes, oh, that's a bit icky. Let's talk about bunnies and eat some chocolate. And Christmas is like, oh, that's a bit, wow, baby, manger, yucky. Let's sanitize it and then eat lots of food. So it's kind of how we do things. But I just want us to take a moment and really kind of gather our thoughts around a story we know so well, and just go, what, what was this really like? 
How horrendous was this for, for Mary, for Joseph, to have a baby in this situation? Mary would have been absolutely exhausted. I mean, she's nine months pregnant, she's exhausted anyway. But after walking 120 k's to get there, it would have absolutely stunk in that stable. It would have been dirty. It would have been probably dangerous to have a baby in that kind of circumstance. It would have been horrifying for Mary. She had no familial support, no family support, which is so crucial any time, but especially in that day. That's how they had their babies. You know, the mums, the aunties were all around. They were nowhere. She had this clueless fiancé who'd probably never seen anything like this in his life in a rancid stable. And that was where Jesus was born. Just a kind of, just an analogy to help us kind of picture it. Picture um, Prince William and Kate having a baby. Right, so when they do have a baby, it's like the best doctors, the best hospitals, you know, the fanfare, all the attendants. They've probably got like five nannies just waiting to look after everything. But imagine Prince William and Kate having their baby alone with no one there in a dumpster in the back of like the worst street in London. Just picture that. Well, that's a little bit like really what we're talking about here. Except it's woefully inadequate because we're not talking about just people. We're talking about the Son of God. That's how he was born. He, he was there at the start of the world. He, he breathed the land that he was standing on into being. And then he was born in this rancid stable with, with no fanfare, no royalty, no help, just animals. This is God. This is the King of Kings the Lord of glory, the King of heaven being born like this. A helpless baby, probably covered in blood, covered in dirt, completely vulnerable, powerless, and basically alone. This is the same God that in Psalm 89, is described, he's described like this. Who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. That's the God we're talking about, born like that. The glories of heaven, the glories, the comfort, the worship of heaven to filth and powerlessness. John Piper says it like this. He says, Christ moved from the heavenly heights to shameful degradation. He moved from the heavenly heights to shameful degradation. Utterly humiliating. It's funny because uh, Pete's already read this verse today and he didn't know that I was going to use it, but that famous passage in Philippians 2 that just sums this up so well, this sort of upside downness of the kingdom, this Glorious God made, made nothing. Philippians 2 says, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Isn't that an incredible, incredible verse? Jesus made himself 
nothing. He gave up glory and power and worship in heaven, the comfort, the ease. The, he sat on the throne in heaven and he, he left that. Still fully God, but came as fully man as a baby. Made himself nothing, according to Philippians. Why did he do this? Well, he did this to begin the great rescue plan. To save you and I, to bring us home to the Father and to restore creation to perfection. He came to save us from our brokenness and bring us back to the Father that we always needed. We are so lost and broken without him. The Bible describes us as without hope and without God in this world. That's us before Jesus came as our Savior. I would just encourage you this morning, if you feel either like you've never known God or you once did and you feel far away or you've turned your back on him, this is really the true meaning of the season that we're in at the moment, the season of, of Christmas, is that you are broken and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't rescue yourself. The Bible says in Galatians that you are under a curse. But the good news is that Jesus came to take that curse and release you from that, put that on himself, set you free so that you could come home to God. And if you don't know God this morning or you just feel like, oh, I've, I've walked away, we're going to have an opportunity at the end for you to just come and, and say, God, I want that again. I want to come back or I want to turn and repent of, of my sins and ask you for forgiveness and make you Lord and King of my life. So I'd encourage you, consider that in your heart today. Consider that um, soberly. It's, it's the most important thing that you can decide to do. So one other thing, really, I want to pull from this passage for all of us is that how does this relate to our walk with God? We're, we're kind of, even this series we're on at the moment is wrapped up in a series called Arumia Mai, Follow Me. It's about discipleship. I want to just kind of put this to you, that Jesus left the comfort of heaven and he gave that away. He considered equality with God not something to be grasped, made himself nothing. Why? It was to follow the plan that God had for his life. God had a plan and a purpose, but Jesus had to humble himself, leave heaven, become nothing for that plan to come to fruition. And that Philippians passage that I read and that Pete read earlier, it actually starts, before we go into the, the, the amazing glories of Jesus, it starts with this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Who did all these things? Have the same mindset as Christ. In other words, we are to imitate Jesus who became nothing. We're to imitate Jesus who gave up his life even to death on a cross. We're to imitate Jesus who gave up the riches, the glories, the praise of heaven and humbled himself. He gave up the comfort, the ease of heaven so that God's plan could be fulfilled in his life. And really what I'm saying here and what, the, what Philippians is, is, having, is saying to us, have the same mindset as that. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus, the mindset is I give up every gift that I've been giving, I, I, I submit it to God. It's, it, it lays beneath the call of God in my life and his and obedience to him. So I'm not saying that you need to just go sell every good thing that you have and live off, you know, just rice and, you know, and just kind of like, and not enjoy things that God has put in front of you. 
What I'm saying is that everything that you've got, every gift you have needs to be in submission to the Lord. And who is the Lord in your life? Is it you? Is it Jesus? You see, we live in a, in a culture that absolutely idolizes comfort and ease. That's like the big thing. It's choice, it's comfort, it's what I want, it's how do I make life easier? How can I get ahead? That is the idol of our culture. We have a million and one things to make life easy, don't we? And we cover things like holidays, time off, me time, Netflix, what I want, my choice. These things are not bad in themselves, but what they've done in our culture has become idols. And so we need to take a good look at that and go, where do they fit in my life? Because you can't follow an idol and Jesus at the same time. It's one or other. And this is really one of the, the crux points. It's one of the crucial parts of learning to walk as a disciple. God is wanting to move us out of our comfort zone into true discipleship. It's a process. But it's actually outside of comfort and ease. It's out here. That's where the, really the adventure lies with God. That's where the kingdom comes in power. It's where breakthrough happens. It's where lives are changed. It's where God sees a, a person or a people who are saying, God, I'll give it all for you. And even if I look stupid, even if I have to give up this, even if I have to go against the grain, I'm going to come out here to outside the boat. I'm going to take a step out of the boat. And God says, I'm going to meet you there. And we're going to go on an adventure together. Let's just make this practical for a moment. What's one of the comfort idols of our culture? Well, one of them is, don't put yourself in a position to be rejected, to be made an outcast, to be mocked, to be laughed at. Our culture is like, oh, that's a bit too hard. Let's, let's shy away from that. Jesus says this, go and heal the sick. He says, go and share the gospel with people. Go and be practical and spiritual, eyes and ears and hands and feet to the people around you. Share my love and spread it. Let the kingdom grow. Truth is, if you do that, you are going to get rejected and mocked. <laughs> so some of us step away from that. We're like, oh, that's too hard. What does Jesus say? He says in Luke 6, and 23, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. So he, say, he doesn't say, oh, it's okay, I won't let it happen to you, I'll protect you from that. He says, rejoice when that happens because I'm going to give you a reward. It's a sign that you're following me. It's a sign that you're in the kingdom. And then in 26, he throws it on his head. He says, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Because that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets. It's like a sign of a Christian who's living for God is that they speak badly of you, that you do get rejected sometimes, that, that people don't understand you, that you love people even when you encounter hatred back. God is saying, forego the comfort of your reputation and start stepping out. Pray for healing for people. Help people. Share the love of God with people. When people scorn you, then just encourage them back and realize that, hey, you have a reward in heaven. Seeing the power of God through healing, through the prophetic, through the gospel changing people's lives, personally, is not a... And by personally, I mean like seeing it, not just I've come to a church where it happens, but you're seeing it in your life personally. 
that's not a thing for some Christians. That is a calling of all disciples. Jesus said that to his disciples. He sent them out and said, go heal the sick. Go share about my kingdom. I just want to encourage you at the start of the year, church, it's time for us to up our game a little bit and go, God, I want to step out of my fear and go, I want to go on this adventure to see people's lives changed around me through the power and the love of God. You might be like, I don't have the tools. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. We're in a family and God's grace is with us. God can help you and also he'll partner you up. You can go and do something with other people and be like, can you teach me how to pray for the sick? Can you teach me how to share the gospel clearly and, and easily? It's part of being a family. Going back to that Philippians 2 passage, it's about making yourself nothing but being a servant of others so that the glory of God can be shown in their life. You empty yourself so they can be filled up. Do you know, in some versions of uh, in John, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter, which can sound a bit like a blanket you put at the end of your bed. <laughs> is it a blanket or a pillow? I don't know, something like that. Pillow? Blanket. Thanks. You know, it can sound a bit like me. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. When do you need comfort? When you're out of your comfort zone. <laughs> so many of us are like bored in our Christian walk. We're like, wow, oh, God's not really showing up. And we do the stuff and we go home and life, job, blah, it's a bit boring. While the Holy Spirit is going, it's because you need to be out of your comfort zone so that my Holy Spirit can show up, God's saying and comfort you and help you in that moment when you're like, I'm so afraid, I just stepped out and prayed for someone on the train who, you know, who just told me that they, their relative is sick, and I said, I'll pray for healing. It's like, oh, I'm so out of my comfort zone. The Holy Spirit's like, whoosh, I'm here, I am your comforter. You're finding your comfort in God, not in the ease of your surroundings. We want to be a church that is forever out of our comfort zone so that the Holy Spirit can show up and be our comforter, don't we? Don't we want more of that this year and the years to come? Unfortunately, we've got, we've got to move. We've got to get out of our comfort zone. We want the Holy Spirit to move. We've got to get ourselves into scary places. It's, it feels like, and I, I do this myself, it's almost like it's, uh, it's okay as a Christian to be like, I'm not going to do that because I'm too afraid. And we do comfort each other. We're like, oh, that's okay. Like, you know, how can we help? And, you know, we say that to each other. But really, the, God sometimes is like, oh, you're afraid? You've got to rely on me then. You've got to step out and go for it. And I'll be your, your comforter. I'll be your strength. Colossians 1.23 says, this is Paul speaking, he says, To this end I labor, striving with all his energy that works powerfully in me. What a cool little turn of phrase. He's like, I work hard with God's strength. Isn't that cool? Doesn't mean that we're a couch potato and God does it all out here. Paul's like, I'm going to put everything I've got into it, but hey, it's actually God's power in the end that's going to do it. Wouldn't it be so cool to get to the end of your life and God to say to you, Hey, you worked hard and I did it through my power. And now look at the fruit. Look at the stadiums full of people that came to know Jesus or the ministries that were set up to help look after the poor or the amazing people who are healed of terminally ill disease because you just stepped out and you laid your hands on someone and, hey, my power showed up and I did it. You worked hard, but my power came. That's what grace, that's part of what grace means. Grace is about God loving you because he loves you and he chose you regardless of whether you're having a good day or a bad day, he picked you before the foundation of the world. That's grace. But grace is also 
You step out of the boat and he meets you with his miraculous power. It's the power of God to change lives. This church is a work of grace because there's no way that any of us can make this happen. We can't see people saved. We can't disciple people. We can barely get ourselves out of bed in the morning. But God shows up and he does a work. And we want to increase that work of grace amongst us, don't we? I've got other practical examples, but I want to skip to this last one and finish with this. We can stay safe and we can stay comfortable with the prophetic words that God has given us through the years. You know, someone shares a word with you and it's a big word and you're like, wow, God, that's amazing. And sometimes healthily, we kind of, we put it over here. You know, it says Mary treasured in her heart what the angel said to her. It's okay to treasure things in your heart. But sometimes we kind of shelve them and we like applaud them and we're like, yeah, good, God has spoken. Whereas actually God is saying, it's time to take a step out of your comfort zone to see some of that come to fruition. Take a step and God will meet you. And I just felt like when I was preparing this that there are particular people here who God is saying there are words and actually you need to take a step now. God has spoken and it's not a waiting word because there are waiting words where you just God needs to make the first step or bring something through. There are other times or words where it's like now God is saying you need to take a step to, to see this thing realized in your life. And I just felt like God wanted to encourage us. What has he called you to do? What ministries has he called you to start? Both inside the church and and outside the church. What, What opportunities, what business opportunities, relational opportunities, opportunities with refugees, I don't know. What opportunities has God spoken to you about? And actually now he's saying it's time to leave the comfort and ease of heaven, using that analogy of Jesus, leaving the easy space and actually to make yourself nothing, to step out of the boat, to look foolish, to not have enough money to see it happen, to have to trust God with your finances or your time or your reputation, those things, is it time to step out of the boat? Discipleship is about foregoing comfort and radically following Jesus where he's calling you to be. And I know in this church there are so many powerful words that God has spoken where you think, wow, and you, you see it in people. They have a word over their life, and it, it's like in seed form, you're like, you've got it. You're going to just see incredible work in this area. God has gifted you. This is going to change people's lives. We see that. We know each other. But actually, for some of us, it's time to go, all right, big step out. I'm going to trust God. I'm not going to let fear hold me back or ease or comfort, but I'm going to take a step for Jesus and see how he's going to meet me in this, and we'll do it together. just feel like God, we're in, a, we're in a prophetic shift, I think, as a church, really, where God is saying, actually, there's a lot on the horizon coming in terms of breakthrough, in terms of his kingdom coming, in terms of just seeing people saved and discipled easily, where we worked really hard and saw a bit of fruit before. It's like God is saying, you might do some of the same stuff, but he's going to breathe on it, and things are going to just happen by his spirit feels like we're tripping into that season. We've had many prophetic words about it. And I feel like what God wants to say to us this morning is take the example of Jesus. Have the same mindset of Jesus. Say, God, what, what is the plan you have for my life? And how am I going to be a servant to all? How am I going to step out of the boat? How am I going to make myself nothing to see you show up in my life? Isaiah 41.10 says this, Do not fear, for I am with you. 
Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. How beautiful is that? So he's got us. We don't need to fear. He's got us. He'll strengthen you. He'll help you. Sometimes he does that through others. Community is so important. You don't just take a prophetic word and run off and, and be like, oh, I'm off now. You submit it to people who love you and you love them. And you say, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? Can we pray about this together? Can we seek God? You might not always agree with everyone, but it's about community together and doing this together. You know, just a practical example, um, my wife and I, we felt like we needed to sell our house a year ago and we felt like God was speaking about things like hospitality and, and just a, a bigger thing to do some things with and some ideas and we thought we've got to sell our house and we felt that. And we had a house lined up the next day to buy. And that didn't happen. And we've been out of home for over 12 months now. And at the moment, we're pursuing something in God, which if he doesn't show up, it's not going to happen. It's, it's, it has to be a miracle for, to, for this next step that we want to pursue. It has to be God. And it's not been easy. It's not like, well, we sold a house, we bought a house, kapish, you know, all done. Actually, it's been a hard 12 months of living in a house with 10 people, with my in-laws and my brother-in-law and his wife and child. And it's been busy. But God's given us the grace in that to, although it's been you know, a bit of suffering, nothing compared to Mary and Joseph giving birth in a stable, but it has been tough. But God's given us grace in that because he's in it and he's met us as we've stepped out of the boat. And we believe he's going to meet us as we go forward. And we'll learn stuff on the way. Can you stand with me? I'd love to just, just uh, respond for a moment. Joe, Alex, are you around to, to play for us? It would be great just to spend a moment before God and say, hey, where, where are you at with this? What is, what is God saying to you? What, are, what areas are there where you need to, to reach out and get the grace of God and step out of the boat? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe just take a moment, take a moment, do whatever you got to do to, to focus on, on the Lord and, and get your heart before Him. You might want to raise your hands or close your eyes or sit, stand, whatever you want to do, just to kind of forget about the person next to you for a moment. And just say to God, Lord, what are you unshelving? What are you saying to me? In what areas do I need to forego comfort and ease and step out of the boat and see your kingdom come in power. Father God, we just we long to be a people who are on the move in, in, in the sense of your kingdom coming. Lord, we long to be a place where heaven is touching earth truly day by day and the lives of Potidur, people in Potidur and beyond are being changed people are being set free Father God we know that actually although we will work it's your strength that's going to do it Lord and we thank you for that Lord 
Jesus.